I'm Ben Clute. And I'm Stephen Brown. We're two entrepreneurial professionals based in Spokane, Washington. Join us on our journey to make 2019 the most prosperous of our lives. We'll bear all as we strive to improve all aspects of our business and our health and fitness, as well as our relationships personally and professionally. We aim to offer impactful insight into our business and personal lives. We'll share the good, the bad, and the ugly throughout our journey. With the ultimate goal of our business and fitness being in the best shape of our lives at the close of 2019. You're listening to the Ordinary to Extraordinary Podcast. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to another Ordinary to Extraordinary Podcast. Steven's here and Ben's here. We are here. Dude, that was kind of a, a, a sigh. Hello everybody, like as you enter. <laughs> Yeah. Steven's had a rough morning so far. We had a little prank uh, played on Steven. So it was a good time. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious as well, but I just... Uh, After you found out. <laughs> I hope Ben knows that it's coming back at him hardcore. So what Ben thought was appropriate to do this morning was the girl I've been hanging out with, he thought it was funny to tell me that her mother had reached out to him by email asking for basically the... Character one on my yeah. uh, on my background, and Ben told me what he told her, and I might have called him some choice names. <laughs> uh, and then, very quickly after, he might have gotten on the phone with said girl too to make sure that nothing was going down. But retribution shall be swift and harsh. Retribution, <laughs> I like it. So today we're going to talk about, it's actually Ben's idea, so I'm going to defer to him a little bit. So Ben, give us a little topic here and what we're going to discuss. Yeah, no, I thought it might be kind of fun to talk today about why people fail in sales or are fired uh, from uh, by their clients, I guess, more or so. Or in general. Or in general. Yeah, fired yeah. for not hitting goals on a more corporate, but fired for also... Uh, lack of communication, a bunch of different other things that we'll get into here uh, by their clients. And then also kind of how that relates to both goal setting and then breaking down uh, goal setting. And Steve and I are going to share just a little bit about how each of us does goal setting. Um, maybe might be different. I've not heard really from Steven actually how he goes about doing goal setting. So could be kind of fun. Thought maybe there'll be some good takeaways from this, some things that have worked for us, some things that don't work for us or that we've struggled with, uh, both on the uh, sales failure side and goal setting side. So before a bunch of you switch off, I just... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> this is Ben's topic. So before a bunch of you switch... <laughs> no, it's not that. I think sometimes sales is um, misconstrued. And I want to quantify that for you guys. Sales is often the, the picture that's painted in people's mind as the sleazy, greasy-haired car salesman mm -hmm. who will ask the question, what do I need to do today to get you to drive off in this car? Yeah. And that's, that's nasty. It's horrible. Not something that I want people to perceive of me. And I think the easiest way to address that is to say that a good salesperson isn't looking to sell you anything which sounds contradictory, but a good salesperson is looking to help you. Mm -hmm. And I often tell people that Heartland isn't a good fit for them right now, whether their business is small and growing, or maybe they have a point of sale that I can't work with, but I'll also offer them consultations continuously as a resource in order to help them. So I think if good salespeople always have that in their heart and front and center in their mind they're always looking to help rather than sell i say that's a mature salesperson too because i can remember when i first started off you know it's just like oh my gosh i need to get a sale but then as you get older you realize getting the sale is almost sometimes more work afterwards and you're like i should not have taken this person on as a client like this was a bad that i made you know the square fit in the round pay or the round peg fit in the square holes like it doesn't work and sometimes realizing that it's not going to work early on saves you a lot of time and headache so uh, yeah truly good salespeople, i think get that but yeah and beyond that i think it's very important to keep in mind that even though salespeople might have a product lots of people have multiple products but they're mm -hmm. usually only an expert in one or two of them and a good salesperson will gladly put you in touch with somebody who's an expert in something rather than try and sell you their product which they know very little about so upselling is a real thing 
So for instance, my industry is, I'm very good at credit card processing. I'm very good at payroll processing. We have a lot of ancillary products that to be honest, and my bosses probably don't want to hear this, I'm very skeptical of because it's not what our bread and butter is, but I'm also very conscious of, hey, I know people that do lending, I know people that do insurance, I know people that do all these other things, and I'm happy to introduce you and bring you into my mm-hmm. circle. So no, I like that. That's true. True of us in finance, too. Yeah. It's like we don't pretend to be stock pickers. It's like we're strategic allocators is what I always say, and mm-hmm. we go out there and we find the best of class fund, and we utilize that to build a client's portfolio versus saying, we're going to pick you the best stock in every asset class. It's like, no, you're not. That's <laughs> yeah. a lie. And we all know the people, and I'm going to describe something without any names, and I know for a fact that everybody knows this person. So every two to three months, you'll run into them, and they have a different harebrained get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. They have a new multi-level marketing campaign they want to push you on. They have, um, hey, if you sign up for this, you get it at this discount, use my code. That's unfortunately the people that give salespeople a bad rap. Sometimes those people have quality products, but because they're not consistent, because they're constantly looking for it to manifest in such a quick way, they don't ever build themselves to a successful place. And Ben and I actually know some people here in Spokane who are part of multi-level marketing who have been hyper successful and they're doing it the right way. So this isn't me bashing on multi-level marketing in any way, shape or form. That's great. There's just ways to do it and ways not to do it. Absolutely. And something just to differentiate here is, I think everybody at this point knows, there's those that have, like their career is sales, direct sales. But then it's also important to realize like everybody's selling, right? It doesn't matter. You can be a local independent artist trying to sell your art too. So I think this is beneficial, not just for those in sales. Don't be so myopic in your thinking that you don't think that this podcast is for you because we all are in sales. doesn't matter who you are. We're selling ourselves one way or another uh, or our product or whatever it may be. So I think we can probably jump into maybe some of the reasons why uh, it seems like people have failed or why you and I have seen people fail within our respective industries or even other industries. Uh, I do a lot of reading, uh, at least pertaining to my industry, on ways to be successful and things like the 10 you know, t- don'ts and you know, do's and don'ts of, of finance. And it seems uh, the biggest one, I think, of all, and we talk about this in finance at least, is, but it pertains to every industry, is, hey, why does an advisor usually get fired? It's not because of returns. It's not because someone had a negative financial plan number. It's because the uh, client didn't feel that they were being watched after after because they hadn't heard from the advisor. So communication, right? It's like communication seems to be key in every business anymore. And I think technology can sometimes cripple the, the communication. You think that you're just relying on communication, but uh, on uh, technology to be your median of communication isn't going to work. You need to call them and let them hear your voice and let them know, hey, I just wanted to call and check in and tell you, I'm looking after your portfolio, I know your goals are this, and just wanted you to hear my voice. And you know what? Once people know that you're caring for them and that you're looking after them, that really changes the game. They might not, that you know, you might say the returns have been negative, and that's fine. They just want to know that you're that you're watching out for them. Obviously, if the returns are negative over a long period of time, that's a different story. You can be the nicest guy in the world, but if you're not ever making your clients money, that's you're not going to be their advisor forever. Yeah, and I think on communication, I try and go, I call it the two-thirds rule. So there's three basic ways that I'm going to reach out to people. There's text message, there's phone calls, and there's email. And I always say as long as you do two-thirds, as long mm-hmm. as you follow an email with a phone call or a text, or follow a text with an email, or follow a whatever it is, do two of the three. At that point, you're trying you're putting the effort in. But when you only try and call and you don't send an email, or some people were petrified of speaking on the phone. Mm-hmm. Some people don't like text messages. Some people don't yes. only check email once a week still, which might blow some people's minds. But you know, you have to find what works for each client or each, each group of clients. And I think it's important not just to, to reach out when you don't have to, but have something for them. So I read an article and it was about checking in. Hey, I'm just calling a check-in. People hate that. Mm-hmm. But if you call them and say, hey, I haven't talked to you for a while. I thought you would be interested in hearing this. Here's what we're doing this week, and we have an event next month. 
then you're calling with a purpose and that makes them feel wanted. But when you call and say, hey, I'm just checking in, what's going on? You're putting them on the spot. They weren't expecting your call and they don't appreciate that. So utilize all the communication tools that you can, but put it in a way that they feel valued rather than put on the spot. Mm-hmm. That's great uh, advice. Uh, and I'll even add, so, so we, when we have a new client intake form, we actually have, hey, what is your preferred method of contact? know email phone we can't really do texting but uh you know or mail and it's it's interesting to me sometimes someone who i've been calling to schedule a meeting or something like that uh will say email i'm like oh well i'm gonna stop calling you then so i think knowing what that person's preferred contact method is is even better and you can ask that right on your initial intake form or at a review if you do a semi-annual annual review with your clients or next time you're together whoever form of method uh, or whatever contact method you have is great mm-hmm. and then also for us i think communication is sitting down with the client or prospect or whoever it is that you work with whatever you want to call them in your industry and determining how often are you going to be in contact with them and what are the reasons that you're going to be in contact with them so for someone like me it's like hey in q1 it's tax time (laughs) so did you get your 1099s do you understand them should i help you with getting them to your cpa is that okay you know Q2, it could be like, hey, we're going to do your annual review, which means we're going to look at your financial plan. We're going to see where you're at in comparison to where you were last year. End of summer, it could be, do we need to update the financial plan? Do we need to look at life insurance? I mean, be it, these are all individualized for people. You get the picture, though, is what I'm trying to say. So it's like having a an established contact schedule with what you're going to talk about makes, I mean, at least in our experience, has made clients really feel that you're legitimate, you know what you're doing, and that you really care about them. Yeah, I've talked about Warren Gresh's in a couple of our podcasts and I can't recommend him highly enough. So he's the guy that writes the uh, best damn sales book ever. And I quote him a lot and I go back to that book quite often. But what Ben was talking about there made me think of something he talks about. He basically says, don't sell your clients something, become a trusted and respected advisor. And what Ben just talked about, there was so much opportunity there for Ben to have multiple centers of influence and introduce them to an Mm -hmm. accountant or a tax, a bookkeeper Uh or whatever they don't have. Hey, have you talked to your accountant? Oh, they're too busy. They can't get me in. Well, hey, I know somebody. Let's talk to them. You know, and that's something that I think, again, coming back to the concept of helping versus selling, if you always go in with that, that mindset of, I know somebody that might be able to help you and once you once you work with that person and help them guess what you've earned the right to say hey who do you know that i should know that i should work with Mm -hmm. and when you help people out they're more than happy they actually almost feel obligated to try and help you out and hey i'll call this restaurant owner or i'll call this person who has a net worth of x amount well you've demonstrated some real value to them right exactly it's like when you demonstrate real value for someone they want to introduce you to the people that they care about so that they can have that same value and be in a solid spot too i know i've gotten the opportunity to work with some uh, professionals at the local hospital some of the medical professionals at the local hospital and it's like i worked with one demonstrated value helped them understand the retirement plan up there that at some of them i can't even work with that retirement plan at this point because they're not old enough to roll it out or they're not retired but all of a sudden they want to introduce me to those people who are mm-hmm. <laughs> and they want some clarity on their financial plan and they want clarity around their retirement plan and you demonstrate value and then all of a sudden oh well so-and-so was asking me about that too and you really showed me and demonstrated value in that area yeah so important ben and i actually were just talking about our first year in sales and i think that tenure can be important you know when you're when you're fresh green wet behind the ears is a a term that's used in the uk we were talking about our first year in sales and i just pulled it up here i can do that in our system and i worked my butt off year one and i only earned and i shouldn't say only earned thirty-three thousand dollars year one 2015. now thankfully i had some money behind me i was able to to work some soccer still and, and and make ends meet but knowing where someone is in their sales career can also be beneficial to the consumer and it's one of the reasons I was very very honest with with a lot of the clients I signed up year one like I am brand new to this I want to be good at this I need you to take a chance on me and I've got an expert with me I I brought my boss to a lot of things and 
I was still learning. It took me probably a year and a half before I felt like I wasn't yeah, drinking totally. out of the fire hose, and probably the same for you. Mm-hmm. So I think you always, while you don't want to just negate an opportunity because someone's new to it, you also want to be very careful and make sure that they have a positive mentor because yes. that can also be another reason that people fail. They've got great ideas and they want to make it work, but they don't have that that pathway to, to grow and be great at what they're yeah. wanting to be great at. Well, so. to, to your point, they don't have the mentorship or coaching, right, to gain the knowledge base that's necessary to really grow and become something special. They might have, you know, all the gumption and work ethic, but man, they're just sitting there spinning their tires going nowhere because they don't know which direction to point the car even. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, so I'm looking at this still. I look at year one and what I earned month to month and how I grew the residual and it's night and day. And I think it makes me grateful that people were willing to take that chance on me. But I think one of the reasons they were is just because of the transparency, because of how I approached it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I know Ben's like this as well, it's, it's truly, I want to help people. I, yeah. I really want to help people. So do you want to talk about how we're compensated? Is that something we should maybe go into? Is that? We could. I mean, we could or? do it on a different podcast probably. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I think we probably have enough topics today cool. really to know. I mean, there were no sales for most parts commissioned. Yeah. But so, so we mentioned communication. I guess the this is kind of communication as well, but another reason that a lot of people are fired by their boss, by their clients, or just don't cut it in a sales environment is because of follow-through. I think it's easy to promise the world and not deliver. Mm-hmm. And one of the concepts that is prevalent in multiple different industries is over or sorry under promise and over deliver so you have a baseline of service and then when you go over and above that or another little cheat is to find out what level of service they're getting currently find out pain points and when someone tells you a pain point i find that you just make sure that you make them feel that a little bit but then you fix it for them and you you don't offer that same pain point ever again i had a business coach that would say basically you find the wound you rub a little salt in the wound and then you offer the solution basically too so it's like you let them know that obviously that hurt that hurts doesn't it (laughs) yeah it's like but you know what i'm here i can help you fix it and here's the value that i'm going to bring and don't go back to that guy ever and this is the unfortunate part uh i work with business owners predominantly ben works with probably couples and people that are established majority of i mean we do 401ks uh, but yeah have some um disposable income that they want to invest and avid business owners look at me put their head in their hand and say oh my god how have i been so stupid and you have to console them and show them hey look it's not stupidity i promise i see this all the time Mm -hmm. uh my industry is not the most up and up of industries i guess or it's not the most transparent which is why when you are transparent and you take time to educate people a little bit and you don't expect them to be experts you keep at high level and show them what they've been doing versus what they could be doing. And you fix those issues, it, it goes so far. And I know Ben, you've talked about having people break down in tears when they have their financial discussions in your office. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think your follow through is more important than you'll ever, ever get. And, and it hit home for me, I think I've mentioned this as well, but Ben called me out once. Um, he told me that he'd given me a referral and I didn't reach out fast enough. And I told Ben I was going to reach out. And I'd, I think I'd mentioned, I'd called the person and said, hey, I'm going to give you a call whenever or text them. And I didn't do it. And Ben came back and said, yeah, you, you don't reach out quick enough. And it's something that I've been hyper-conscious of ever since. <laughs> Good. So for about two years now. So, you know, I think it's, it's important. Part of follow-through is setting yeah. expectations, right, Ben? Absolutely. Well, in setting expectations and then also it's funny because follow through really ties back into the first thing we talk about communication too, right? Because so often I, I feel people uh, that I'm working with, I'll, I'll, I'll call them on like I called you and they're like, oh, I just got really busy. And I haven't had a chance to follow up on busy that doing yet. what? It's like, it's been a week. Busy doing what, Ben? <laughs> busy doing what? Back Sitting to busy versus productive. Busy versus productive. First <laughs> podcast. But uh, 
So it's like, oh, well, I just didn't get a chance to, to get around to that. It's like, well, you know, I probably would have extended some grace to you if you would have called me and communicated with me and just let me know. It's like, hey, I got busy today. I haven't forgotten you. I'm going to be working on it tomorrow and I'll be in touch. Like, oh, nope, not a problem. That's fine. You know, most people are going to extend you that grace when you're busy, but you need to communicate with them and tell them, I'm not going to be able to follow through on that. I'm not going to be able to hit that goal for you today. Can I do it tomorrow? Can I do it next week? Whatever it is, just let them know because that's how you're going to get fired is by not letting them know that you're not following through. And the other thing, and I won't single out, I, I won't, not yet, I won't single out a particular industry quite yet, but I will soon. <laughs> and Stephen probably already knows what industry <laughs> I'm going to say, but is having tools in place to help you remember to follow through. And when I'm out and about at a client's house or I'm out doing something, uh, you know, I'm in a community, I'm at an event, yada, yada, yada. Someone brings something up like, hey, I need to talk to you about, you know, getting some money out of my account. Hey, I need to introduce you to this person I want you to meet. I make a note, I make a reminder in my phone for the next day to reach out to the client, ask them how much money they need, when they're going to need it. Ask Stephen, hey, who was that person that you said that I should be introduced to? Do you mind doing an email introduction? So that follow through, both reactive, proactive, whatever follow through, uh, I think sometimes you need tools to really make sure you do follow through. It's and there's, I'll, I'll say the industry now. It's like the real estate agents, realtors. Was that the was that the industry you thought I was going to say? Yeah. See, I thought mm-hmm. he might. I think the issue with them is they're out and about so often that they don't have an effective manner in which to remember to return a call. So they don't, <laughs> and they're just running in a thousand different directions. So it's like you really need these tools to keep you accountable to following through on things or else you're going to get fired. So on that, the best ones do and the best ones crush it. So when you look at the real estate industry here in Spokane, I want to say there's over 1,500 or so licensed agents. I'm sure somebody could tell us. Uh, Again, coming back to Warren Gresh's in that book, you all need to read it if you're in sales and if you're not in sales, read it and just listen to some of his cool stories. But he talks about breaking sales forces up into three categories the top 10 percent the next 80 percent and the bottom 10 percent and you've got the bottom 10 percent should be fired hands down fired Mm -hmm. the top 10 percent are amazing at what they do have everything in place to make their follow-up calls and do everything they have to do the next 80 percent are basically some are going to fall into the bottom 10 percent and you can constantly fire them and get rid of them. And the rest are either striving to be in the top 10% or just don't quite know how to get there and just need the guidance and the help. Um, And a lot of times it's just sweat equity. The top 10% of salespeople usually work harder than everybody. They hustle. They're the most humble and hardworking people in the room every time. And in Spokane, I'll tell you, I know a lot of realtors that sit around and wait for their phone to ring. And it blows my mind because they could be out working. There's plenty of business for everybody. Especially in this market. (laughs) Yeah. So, sorry Ben called out realtors. We like you. Well, I like you. Oh, I totally, I always tell people, it's like, (laughs) I'm one of those weird advisors that actually likes real estate and (laughs) and that industry. And I have, I mean, I probably have more friends in real estate than I do in finance, (laughs) honestly. But there are people that are really good in real estate. I mean, you think about the people that I know that you know, that I know, that we know, Mm -hmm. that are in real estate. It's like, they're all killing it. So this is actually a really cool segue, a good segue into one of the the concepts I'd written down and it's work versus ideas. Again, I'm going to describe a person and everybody's going to know two or three people that they speak to on a regular basis. Or they might be this person. Or you might be that, yeah, (laughs) for sure. Have you ever heard the term, I had that idea and they bloody stole it. They took my idea and they made it happen. There's only really one response to that, but why didn't you make it happen? Yeah. It comes down to, to two things. It comes down to the gumption to get off your ass and do it, whether it's an evening or a weekend. We all have the same 24 hours in a day, and we've talked about that before. But then the second part is plan, right? You could you don't you don't need to act on it instantly, but if you'd have sat down and actually been able to envision this being a success, then you could have made it happen. And I just... I come across a lot of people in my industry that start and for the first three to six months, they absolutely crush it. Mm-hmm. They come in with a network of people, they know some people that maybe I don't or other other people that do what I do didn't know and they'll crush it. And then after six months, 
they fall off and they fall off because they've had all the ideas but they haven't put the work in it kind of again leads into the whole cyclical nature of sales yeah a lot of people build a pipeline up and when they get that pipeline yep. built up then they take that deep breath and oh, and they relax and they exhaust that pipeline and then they have to ramp it up yeah and it becomes a roller coaster you're constantly up and down and up and down and by putting the work in the work the hustle the grind whatever you want to call it constantly if you just take a few hours a day or one day a week to constantly build that pipeline up then you're not going to experience those peaks and troughs yeah and i'll argue that a little bit because i do think no matter what you'll experience the peaks and troughs at least in my industry we do but i do think you can control your grind level the level at which you grind but you can't control when your clients say yes i i think you don't when you're busy don't let yourself stop grinding at least doing the actions necessary to continue filling your pipeline and having people fall off it but you can't control mm -hmm. when they say yes so to some degree you're always going to have the peaks and valleys i'd argue just because like i said you can't control when they say yes and uh, sometimes you'll be surprised and you'll have one week where you're slow and then next week all of a sudden you have five new clients that weren't even on your pipeline in yeah. my situation at least and we uh, we can probably agree to disagree on that because I'm not saying that you can control when people say yes and no, but you can always control how hard you work, how much effort you put in. And there's a reason that you don't have monthly goals, you have annual goals. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not that when well, I talk about peaks and valleys and peaks and troughs, I'm talking more that people ex people are willing to exhaust their pipeline before they think about building it back up yeah. rather than constantly replenishing. And that pipeline. is, I mean, in finance, that's been a huge reason why people fail, right? Is because they have a quarterly goal when they're new to the industry mm -hmm. and they use their natural market, hit the first few quarters and hadn't been doing anything from a marketing standpoint to get out there and continue to build their network. And then all of a sudden they miss a quarter and then they miss another quarter and then they're fired. Look at you leading in again, just perfectly to centers of influence. This is another reason that people fail. Another reason that people get fired. And there's two ways to look at this. Ben and I were part of the same organization, Spokane Young Professionals. And I'm going to give him credit here, which I don't like doing, especially after he pranks me. Um, he uses a perfect term for what Spokane Young Professionals actually does and creates. And it's an organic networking resource. And by organic, we mean that it's not forced. You can show up in jeans and a t-shirt. You can show up in a three-piece suit. You can talk to people with a drink in your hand and not feel like you have to have already made it you don't have to have already succeeded at anything and it can be as much or as little a part of your business as you want it to be but mm -hmm. i think a lot of people approach these events whether it be networking or philanthropy events with the approach to put their business card in as many people's hands as they can and then get a pocket full of business cards from a lot of people and, and the way I, th I think Ben's similar in this mindset, the way I look at it is two or maybe three solid connections is worth a thousand business cards mm -hmm. to me in my pocket because I want to work with people that are in two places. One, I either want to work with people who I can help find more business for their industry or I want to work with business owners. Business owners don't want to be pitched or sold when they're at a networking event. They're there to have fun. They're there to meet people. But what they are willing to do is talk to you and get to know you and build a relationship outside of the sales cycle. Yeah, I think that centers of influence are important, but I think how we approach building our centers of influence is very, very misguided and also mm -hmm. very important. And I'll talk a little bit about centers of influence and uh, I think how important they really are, especially as we get into the latter portion here with goal setting and goal planning and you know all of that. Uh, centers of influence are something the first few years that I really struggled with. Uh, I thought I was doing it right and uh, turns out I wasn't because I wasn't staying in front of them as often as I had to uh, needed to. I would meet them once or twice and think oh yeah we're gonna refer to each other great thumbs up you know we've both agreed to do that but then they forget about you they don't actually know what you do after just a few meetings right so what I've done now is I actually set reminders in my CRM for be it every two to four months to sit down with uh, those that are my close COIs uh, to grab coffee grab lunch 
just touch base at their office over coffee and uh, catch up on, hey, what's new in your business? What's new in my business? Have you brought in any new interesting clients? What are some techniques that you're implementing that I might need to implement? And then touch base maybe with any referrals that they've been given, uh, that they've given me or I've given them during uh, the last few months just to see how things are going. So I think don't underestimate how often you actually need to be in contact with your COIs. It's more than you more than you think. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not just talking business. Sometimes it's talking about their family and their kids and getting to know them on a more friendly level to the point where they like you (laughs) because they're more likely to send you business when they like you, they trust you because they know you more. And uh, you're sharing maybe a client story, maybe not names, maybe it's one that they gave you so you can share names on what you did to demonstrate value to that particular referral. So just to expand on that part a little bit i think when you do well in sales when you're good at what you do it's a natural progression for some of your clients not all of your clients to become friends and become part of your everyday family life and everything else Mm -hmm. i have been able to make friends with a lot of my clients now do i regard them as close dear friends probably not but I spend time with them. We go for beers together, we go for dinner together, we you know, introduce friends and family and things like that. So if, if you're in any kind of sales and you're two or three years in and you're not in some way friends with your, some of your clients, you probably wanna evaluate that and, and look at it, I think. But yeah, that no. might just be an opinion. I think it is an opinion because I've heard it both ways too, where people are saying, "Hey, you don't want to be close with your clients because sometimes it can, you know, hamper your enjoyment of just the situation." But uh, no, I agree. I'm definitely friends with a lot of my clients, you know, of varying ages too. And there's just some of your clients you're never going to get along well with, but you give them good service. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that you're like, "Man, I really like you. We click. Let's go grab a beer." Yep. But some, like, maybe a couple other key points that I just wanted to share, and then you can maybe share a few key things, and then we'll move on to goal setting and, and breaking that down if you think it's good. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think a lot of the time why people fail in sales too is because they don't necessarily believe in themselves or they don't believe in the product, right? I think a lot of people get into finance because they think they're going to get a big paycheck. And I tell people don't get into finance for the money because for one, it, <laughs> it'll eat you up and kill you. <laughs> Before you're, before, you're you, before you're able to make any money even, yeah. But you really have to believe in what you're selling in your process and yourself, your abilities to demonstrate that value to get that sale. And then the other thing I wanted to say is, and I've seen this with a lot of young advisors, uh, actually some older advisors too that come in from another industry and then fail, is they come aboard, they get their licenses, And then they think they need to know everything before they go out and start working or making anything. And they don't hit their goals that were set for them by a lot of these larger corporations if you work for one. I mean, if you're independent, that's different. But these larger corporations have goals that they set for you, performance goals that if you don't hit them, you're done, right? And I remember seeing uh, when I started at Waddell and Reed, there was two particular individuals that they just needed to know everything before they could go out and try to sell to this particular person. It's like, that's... You don't need to know everything. Pull in your manager. Pull in this expert. You don't have to be the expert in every particular area. So it's like I got really good at telling people like, you know what? I I don't know the answer to that. I'm sorry. Let me me find out and get back with you. And then back to that point of communication and follow-up, right? I would follow up in the next day or two. I'd let them know that I was following up the next day or two. And I'd follow up with an answer that says, hey, I talked with my expert in this area and they said this and then share that with them too. It provides you an opportunity for extra touches and that builds a relationship and it's so important to admit when you don't know the answer to something. Well, it creates that trust Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Like, you know what? Ben told me he didn't know the answer and he wasn't so proud that he had to come up with some BS answer. Like, he Mm -hmm. went, he took the time to figure out what the real true answer was and then provided me with that and demonstrated value and he gets the sale. Absolutely. So important to know your limits and when to reach out to other people to step in and help you out. Yeah. Well, it shows you have a team, a support system of people behind you that's incredibly knowledgeable in their respective areas that's going to take care of the client. Yeah. So we're going to talk about goal setting. And this actually, there's so many parallels with fitness that this is Mm -hmm. actually going to be really interesting. 
So yeah, we didn't talk about fitness at all in the first part, actually. <laughs> There's parallels in sales with fitness, with fitness and health, and yeah, it just it's one of the reasons this podcast is kind of fun. We can always draw those comparisons and find the parallels that, that some people don't always see. But Ben, let's go with your technique for goal setting first. Go ahead and um, let us hear how you're doing it. And do you want to talk annual? Do you want to talk monthly, daily, weekly? In general, goals. I uh, and I'll tell you how I do it because I think they all tie together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you know goals are goals are goals. I don't think a, a weekly goal and a in an annual goal don't tie in together. For me, it's kind of taken a little while to figure out what is a good way for me to do goal setting, and I feel like it's just in maybe the last year or two that I've kind of found a, a manner which is uh, works for me. At first, I would set these. You know, you ever heard of a BHAG, big, mm-hmm. hairy, audacious goals, right? And I think there's two types of people. There's those where a BHAG really motivates them and it makes them push harder so they can get as close to that as they can. Their BHAG might not be attainable within the time frame that they've shared. I mean, it might just be totally unrealistic, but it forces them to push harder. And then there's people like me where I set it and I have this such a high expectation of myself that I'm gonna hit it that when I don't hit it because it was so unrealistic, I almost feel like I just got punched in the gut and it's a little depressing, honestly. So what I do actually is I figured like, you know what, I'm going to set a goal that is just higher than last year's goal. So if I brought in $5 million last year in new money, I'm setting it for $6 million. If I brought in $6 million, I'm setting it for $7 million. So it's forcing myself just to be incrementally better than I was last year, right? And then what I do is I take that $7 million dollar goal, whatever it is, and I break it down quarterly, knowing that some quarters are going to be better, and it's not all going to just land in one quarter or the other, or maybe it will, I don't know. But, and then breaking it down into what are the actions that I need to do on a daily, weekly, monthly basis in order to hit that goal. So as Stephen talked about earlier with the varying cycles of our business, is what are the actions that I need to do in order to fill my pipeline to ensure that I'm gonna have clients that are gonna be on there, or excuse me, prospects on my pipeline that are gonna fall off. Again, I can't control when they say yes, that's why I think shorter term goals are kinda hard, but having that annual goal and knowing that, hey, the more people you put on the pipeline, the more people are likely to fall off the pipeline. But then also I've learned, don't focus so much on your pipeline, that uh, you're getting crippled when people aren't falling off it. Something I struggled with was I would look at my pipeline and I'd get worried because I'd go a month without a new client. And I'd look at my pipeline and be like, oh my gosh, these people on the pipeline, they're still six months to a year out. They're not going to hit this quarter. What am I going to do? And then next week, I would get a referral in from one of my COIs. And then we'll get into talking about COIs with goal setting because I think they're incredibly important. And then I'll get a referral from one of my COIs and land and I've hit my quarter's goal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so sometimes I think you don't know where it's going to come from, but know who you are. Are you the type of person where a, that big, hairy, audacious goal is going to motivate you or is it going to cripple you? And then do you need to set realistic goals? In either one of those, break down the actions that are going to be necessary to get you incrementally closer to that and then do one of them every day. Do those actions every day to get you closer and find the win daily in those actions. So again, I can apply this to sport and fitness and health. I remember at 15 years old, I told the guys that I played basketball with that I was going to dunk a basketball. And at 15 years old, I think I mentioned I was a late bloomer. I wasn't tall. Uh, Puberty hit late. Was always athletic, but I was shorter than some of the guys I played basketball with. And I told them I was going to dunk a basketball. I did. And for the record, I still can. And we'll do a dunk check here and do it on on the... Instagram here soon, I'm sure. Get some proof. Yeah, I do it a couple times a year, little dunk check. But I remember being laughed at. And you talk about big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah. I call out. I'm, I'm Babe Ruth. I, I call my shot and I swing for the fences. Now, there's there's two things that can happen there. You can, you can get where you want to be. And even if you fall just short, you're still pretty far along the line. Yeah. You know? So if I swing for the fences, but I put it in the crowd guess what that's good um so yeah i believe in the big hairy audacious goals but one of the things that i like to do in goal setting especially in sales and you have to be a bit of a numbers geek in order to be good at sales because if you don't know your metrics if you don't know what you need to do on a daily weekly monthly basis to get to where you need to be 
you're probably going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and the simplest way, so this is old fashioned, you know, a lot of people don't believe in cold calling, but unfortunately, when you run out of your natural network, you're going to have to cold call, whether that's banging on doors, meeting people at networking events, you know, trying to meet new people or going to your clients. So I want you to think about this. We'll go the simplest route, but let's say you need to make 100 phone calls to set 10 appointments Mm -hmm. and 10 appointments will lead to five clients and five clients will lead to X amount of thousand dollars or whatever it is you need to get to. If you don't know those metrics, if you haven't done the math, and if you don't reevaluate that every three to six months, because the thing is, you should get better. If it takes you a hundred calls when you first start to make ten appointments, guess what? In a year's time, it should only take you fifty or forty or thirty calls to get ten appointments. You should be working other centers of influence in order to get more appointments, so then you can dial back pardon the pun, dial back on the amount of calls you're making. I think if you're not constantly monitoring your metrics when you're setting goals, then you're going to fail. Well, so, like you said, that applies in health really yeah. well too. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. it's like you think about uh, a couple things. So f- for me, it's like setting goals and I kind of shared them early on, I think in the podcast in terms of weight goals, measurement goals a little bit, but and Steven's been helping me be accountable to those. But even those days when I don't want to, like I said, just showing up and doing something is better. So coming back to sport and fitness and the metrics, I remember three years ago when I had uh, smashed my arm and I wanted to get back in the gym. When I got back in the gym, what I'm lifting now seems so unattainable. So putting 225 pounds, or for anybody listening in Europe, 100 kilos, give or take, on a bar and pushing that with my chest and my arms seemed so far away. And now, it's, it's not far away, but at the time, it was a huge, what did you mm-hmm. call it, a big hairy what goal? BHAG, big hairy audacious goal. Yeah, so it was it was like an elephant. And mm-hmm. the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So I've worked hard on it now, and now loading up 225 yeah. pounds is nothing to me. You know, it's still hard, but it's somewhere that I got to by breaking it down in each day, each week, each month adding a little bit more and building up to it and i'm better at lifting weights now same concept right you set that goal and you eventually get there how long did it take you to change that mindset because something i want to illustrate so answer that question first actually how long did it take to change the mindset no how long did it take for you to get to that 225 where that was a realistic it was always realistic realistic. i just knew it was going to take work yeah but how long how long did it take you to get to the point where you had like, I can actually do this? Um, a year ago. A year ago? A year ago. So I guess to that, what I'm trying to illustrate is, so I'm not necessarily against BHAGs. I'm actually a big fan of them, but it's the short-term BHAGs that really get me. Uh, like, yeah. Because I think some people come in expecting, I'm going to make $100,000 my first year. It's like, well, no. you know, But it's realistic that you can make half a million dollars in 15 years. It's like, and most people never get to that point, right? In, in, in most industries, they never get to that point. So I think having long-term BHAGs, some people would say that my long-term goals for myself are pretty crazy, but they're realistic in my mind, but they're gonna take a lot of freaking work to get there. So uh, yeah, I totally believe in the BHAG just like you, but mine might be a little longer term with more of the bite size, how do you eat an elephant? Yeah bite by bite right it's like so i think my goals are more the bite size goals mm-hmm. and then that lead up to that long-term BHAG. so those bite size goals the way we break that down or the way i break it down for people that work with and for me here at heartland is when today right so you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. you do everything you possibly can to be a success that day and if you do that five days out of seven take the weekend off guess what you're winning 20 to 25 days a month and those 20 to 25 days a month. So for us, the goal, if, if I ran a perfect month for Heartland, it would be run one appointment per day and set one appointment per day. Now, there's days where I run three or four appointments. There's days where I don't run any. There's days where I don't set any appointments. There's days where yeah. I set four or five appointments. So what we're looking at, again, coming back to the metrics is the averages. But if you just focus on doing something every day to make you successful whether that be pick the phone up and reach out to a client 
and ask for a referral, whether it be go to a networking event with the goal of making two solid connections mm -hmm. that you can have coffee with, have lunch with, get to know better. I promise those people are out there. But yeah. win every day. If you focus on one day at a time, guess what? 300 days out of 365, you're going to have a good day. Yep. And then the other 65, a bunch of them are weekends. You're going, you're going to do all right. You're going to have a great day. Yeah, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, whoo! Yeah. Now, we have bad days. We have bad weeks. We have dry spells. We have all these things to contend with. But if your focus is always just to win for that, that particular day, you're always going to be able to find something that you can look back on before you close your eyes at night and go to bed and go, I'm glad I did that today. I think what's going to be interesting, too, is you'll find that – your win, your daily win, is going to vary depending on the day. Because <laughs> some days when you're just not motivated to go to the gym, but you show up, that could be a win, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so I think you got to give yourself some grace sometimes too, but also push yourself to just do something, just show up, just yeah. d pick up the phone and call your mom, if nothing else, <laughs> to say you made a call. But coming back to adjusting what a win might look like, Ben, just last week, called me and said hey I want to talk about this six days a week thing and he only wants to lift three days a week but he's going to be active for six rather than lifting mm -hmm. for six days a week that's what you know that's when you know and I think I mentioned this in our accountability update I was I was proud I was like a dad like yeah he's getting there he's you know and I think what it is is you you get to know your body you get to know your capabilities and what you're able to do on a daily and weekly and monthly basis and for Ben he needs those cardio days. He enjoys that crap. I don't know why, but he likes getting on the treadmill or getting on the elliptical or the bike. He asked me to go mountain biking today, and I told him to go and jump in the river. It <laughs> does not sound appealing to me. The only way I, I think you actually asked if we had a helicopter that was going to take you to the top of the hill so you could just pedal ride down. Exactly. I'll yeah. ride down a hill all day. Yeah. I have no interest in getting on a bike and climbing up a hill. But that's, I, th I think I told you that the idea is repugnant to me. Yeah. But that's just, that's just me. And, and I understand that lifting weights six days a week isn't for Ben. So again, applying this to fitness and goals and, and everything, everything goal oriented, it's find what works for you, find a system and adjust. Yeah. And when, when you get really good at those things, I promise in another six months or so, Ben's going to want to lift more weights because he's going to reach a point where his um, cardio is where it wants to be or where he wants it to be. But he's going to be like, well, my arms aren't getting as big as they were those first few months because he's just told me he feels like his arms are getting bigger and his waist getting smaller. And my, I get, my wife caught me last night all of a sudden saying I was in the closet taking off my shirt and we were getting ready to go to bed. I'm like, man, my arms look good. And I, I, I came into the bathroom. She's like, did you just say your arms look good? I'm like, was that out loud? Like, oh, you're welcome. Okay. Ben. You're welcome. I'm glad I pushed him to do this. But yeah, I don't know that we have anything else for today. What do you think, Ben? Is there anything no, else? No, I was just really going like to say the last thing that I was going to end with is I think it's important to visit your goals uh, frequently, write them down, share them with others, and then ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask someone to help you. Don't be afraid to ask your clients for a referral. A lot of the time, your clients don't know that you want to work with their friends. As funny as that sounds, they don't know. So ask for what you want. If there's something out there you want, ask for it. Yeah. And that's what I would end with. Well, I'll end by saying what you said is fantastic. But one other thing, write them down and share them. I cannot re-emphasize that enough. If it's so, it's just a dream until it's written down and shared. Yep. And again, that's in that book. Warren Gresh is the best damn sales book ever. I'm going to buy Ben a copy of that, or I'm going to give him my password for the Audible and make him listen to it. I'd be um, better off reading it hard copy. <laughs> it's a fantastic book. So, hey, um, thank you for joining us today, uh, Ben. You want to talk about social media a little bit? Yeah, if you haven't already, please like us on Instagram or follow us on Instagram. Like us on Facebook. That's O2E Journey O, the number two E Journey. Uh, we're going to be pushing out the links to the varying podcasts on there. Uh, we're on every major platform Stitcher, Google Apple. Play, Apple, anything Spotify. else I'm forgetting? Spotify. There you go. So uh, yeah. thank you guys for tuning in today. Yep. Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. Boom.
Get 